Hello and welcome to the worst person in the room. I'm your host Teresa Francesca and today Reese has asked to interview me. So we're going to try that. So I get to ask you some questions. All right. It's going to be All right. good times. What if I don't have answers? <laughs> well, then I'll just keep asking you questions until you come up with some answers. Or maybe the question is the answer. Is it? Is it? Might, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my first question for you is uh, what flatters you? Can you give me a scenario? I like a scenario. So let's say you're in. So what would you, I guess another way of putting it is what would you like for someone to say to you that would make you feel empowered and and happy about yourself that would reaffirm your best qualities uh, so i guess a scenario would be like um you're at like a party and someone comes up to you and be like oh teresa i really like how you blank or i really love it uh when you blank something like that what well, fill in the blank i guess <laughs> fill in the blank um I mean, at a party, it would be such a relief for people to come up to me, <laughs> as you know. Um, and it is. People do that sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Who does that? Thank you. Who does that? People who do that. Who does that? Um, Thank you. What would... What could someone say that would flatter me? Yeah. And we're asking this question because of a conversation we had about, like, about, like, guys approaching women in the street or, or like, me getting a weird compliment from a random dude on the subway saying like i looked like well put together or like i looked nice yeah so i guess this question came about because we were talking a while ago and i'd had a little bit to drink and we were talking about you know i guess like pickup lines or like you know things that people say to women that make them uncomfortable you know maybe they're meant mm. to be flattering Words. but they usually end up doing the opposite so I'm thinking, like, what is it that someone, it doesn't have to be a guy, it could be anyone, could say to you that would make you feel the opposite of uncomfortable? And I guess that would show that they really know who you are on a deep level and really like and respect what it is that, who you are and what it is that you do. What are some of the things they would say or bring up? I guess if someone appreciated uh, basically what I'm doing now or i guess not in this moment but like in the podcast and because it's kind of what i want to do in general if people appreciated the things i want to know about i don't know if i'm saying this right okay if someone appreciated how much i'm willing to share i think that's really much more the thing that would make me feel like um much more accepted than just like oh i like how you do this thing but like i like that you are really open about your experience or try to be that might be an aspirational flattery thing but <laughs> <laughs> i really like how you're open to sharing your experiences i like how you post about your period on facebook <laughs> <laughs> sharing is caring um so if i were to say like oh i i really like how you're are open to sharing experiences is yeah, sharing experiences and getting others to talk about their experiences and encouraging them to share is that kind of an example i, I guess it's probably not the best example honestly i think it yeah. just came to mind because you know because of recent events and this um the show um what would be more flattering or what would be overall flattering without me thinking about this show? Uh, I guess, like, a compliment on insight, i.e., do I have any? Um, <laughs> like, someone appreciating my intelligence and, like, giving examples. Um, and not, like, the boring types of intelligence. <laughs> I'm very biased toward me, clearly, because I think the things I don't value are directly boring um <laughs> what are some of the things you don't value what is boring intelligent 
you know, stuff that's so theoretical that it doesn't touch your life that, you know, I really, I really used to be into the idea of like, oh, thought experiments. And I still definitely, I don't know. I feel like I have this, the inclination toward them still, but I feel like they are ultimately, uh, I mean, they're not useless, but they're much more annoying. And I associate them with people who will eventually just get on my nerves and who won't really, you know, I, I really want to have conversations about people's emotional experiences. And I don't want to get bogged down in like what a thing with a capital letter is, you know, mm. and the idea of it. And like, I mean, it's interesting to, you know, for someone to talk about you, the role of a capital T thing in society, but I really want to know how it affects them and how it's played in their lives and, and what they feel about it and not what they think about it. But yeah, this answer has honestly veered off into something else, but <laughs> I mean, that's fine. But, uh, and it's all going to talk, come back to how you're the worst person in the room anyway. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, you're here with me, rude. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I really, I kind of get bored easily when people are talking about a thing with a capital T like that and aren't talking about their personal experiences with it. Mm. Um, cause I don't know. That's just like when people are talking about their emotional and personal experiences with a capital T thing instead of just about the capital T thing with the distance between them and the thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so much more life. It's like you can taste their energy in the air when they're talking about it. You're not just getting like, you can get someone's like cerebral energy and passion, but you can't, you know, it's just like a different, like the spirit comes out. In such a different way, it seems like when when someone's telling their own story mm. and not just telling their thoughts. Basically, that sounds weird because it's like clearly you have thoughts about your experience. But yeah, I'm like I just want to know more about stuff that's charged with your emotion. Mm. I like to keep things grounded in personal experience and things that are directly affecting you rather than sort of out there in the ether where they they're kind of more abstract i guess mm, i don't know i don't really think of it like that but yeah. i just want i just have trouble feeling engaged when people are talking at a certain distance when they aren't engaging themselves um Can and i know a lot of people do seem to be just much more comfortable only engaging mentally and not emotionally um and you know, not everyone's like me not everyone wants to like call it out of people but i don't know can you give an example of like a capital letter conversation but that's related to someone on an individual and interpersonal level that you would find interesting to talk about or listen to? Like, do I you mean, have an example? Well, we talked about masculinity. Mm. And, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty direct. <laughs> so what are, your, um, what are your experiences with masculinity? Well, we talked about this in your episode, right? Um, or, since we already talked about that, what are your experiences with femininity? Well, they're kind of the same thing, just mm. flopped, mm. basically, because femininity and or masculinity is essentially defined in the negative most of the time. Mm. Um, as in, what is masculine is what is not feminine, or the reverse. I can't even, who even knows which one it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I rejected a lot of what I saw as feminine as a kid. And, um, you know, went after very physically active things like 
sports and uh, sports <laughs> and trying to work out shirtless in the living room like my dad did, you know, do those like ab turns mm. or whatever those are called, um, you know, getting getting yelled at for that because I wouldn't be able to be shirtless in the future <laughs> without comments from the world. Um, are there any, besides the masculinity and femininity thing, are there any other like big picture topic things that you have a direct personal experience that has been emotionally engaging for you? I mean, capitalism is one example, but I suspect that that's probably not at the top of your list. But are there any other isms or big, big ticket sort of abstract concepts that have affected you on a deeply personal level? I mean, my answer is going to be an answer that would annoy me if I got it, which is, of course, there's a ton like almost everything that i could be able to think of would affect me personally in some way is there a particular one that stands out not really you kept saying capitalism and i'm like even capitalism people have direct experiences of that like just living in the world um it's not really an avoidable thing, certainly living in a capitalist culture or even just living in the world um, where, where, you know, big capitalist cultures greatly influence the rest of the globe. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I can really answer this well right now. That's fine. Okay. So, I guess switching gears a bit then... Um, what have you learned about yourself um, through your relationships with others over, let's say, like the past five years or so, maybe since we first started dating? It doesn't just necessarily have to be me. It can be. But, you know, what would <laughs> you say? Like a trap. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's, doesn't have to be a trap, but it is very easily made into a trap. But what what have you uh, what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself and they could be positive or they could be you know maybe scary things uh, just through the relationships that you've developed over the past five years you know maybe since moving up here to 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 Boston and everything I mean I don't talking right now I don't remember exactly how I how I um, learned this or like what relationships made this clear but at some point I, in the last five years or so I realized that I talk like a victim a lot um, <laughs> yeah and, and I, I don't do it on purpose but it I don't know I don't know where it came from but um, I did realize that the way I respond to people is often with with language and a tone that kind of casts myself as a victim, even it, I feel like it, whenever I realized this, it was, I mean, it's kind of still horrifying, but cause I feel like it's the thing that's going to make people not take me seriously. It's like a boy who cried wolf, but like a girl who cried everything mm. that she, that who just kind of talked really matter of factly as if she was the victim in every situation and didn't realize that's what she was doing and wasn't like honestly you know i'm not trying to put blame on people but I, for whatever reason i talk like that's what i'm expecting from them like i'm expecting to like pull guilt emotions out of them i'm expecting like i talk as if i'm calling forth their guilt about doing me wrong somehow hmm. Do you feel like a victim? I mean, sometimes. But yeah, that's that's one thing. That's that's one thing that's particularly horrifying to me cuz it's like it's it's so it's so ingrained. Like I don't know when I when this started or how, you know, and I don't know really how to undo it except to talk more, but I feel like talking more to like try to compensate and be like, "Oh, I don't mean to like not take any 
agency here or whatever and blah 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 it just makes me talk more which i feel like makes the person listening just gives them more time to hate me besides just thinking like oh she's you know talking as if she's a victim or not not even necessarily thinking like so directly those same terms that i'm using but but to kind of like get bored of me because of the way i talk um and you know and then the more i talk trying to undo the thing that i know that i just do without thinking um on like on fucking accident um but you know the more i like talk to try to compensate for that you know i'm just like oh they're gonna go away they're not gonna talk to me anymore they're not gonna like me they're gonna get like she never you know just shush just stop it like that's you know that's what i think people will do Hmm. and they go away and they don't talk (laughs) do you ever feel torn between um the anxiety of being alone and the anxiety of talking to people and feeling like they're not going to like you. Like you've got two poles here. Like, um, like maybe I'm doing a little bit of projecting here, but Mm -hmm. like, like when I'm at like a, a party or something, I'll Mm -hmm. feel like, Oh, I'm alone. That sucks. But then I'm afraid if I go talk to people, they're not going to like me. And that sucks. So I feel like no matter what I'm, not happy do you ever feel that way i guess um i don't think of it quite like that but i do kind of have a similar thing Mm. where i'm so i i go into most like social group gatherings trying to be a little more socially bold than i generally am um which, to, to be fair, is extremely a low bar, so it doesn't even look like boldness to other people, probably. But it definitely feels bold. Mm. Um, and and so I start that, but I can't... It's like I e- either and or... <laughs> it's an and or situation where I can't keep up the energy for as long as... Nowhere near as long as the gatherings last. Mm. Um I just kind of get like sucked dry if I'm trying to keep up that amount of energy. Um, or I feel like the energy I've put forth in the beginning to make, to try to make this a good experience for myself. If it's not, if it doesn't feel like matched or appreciated or well received mm-hmm. and I just kind of like still can't really break in anywhere, you know, can't break into a conversation. I always find myself in the center, like no matter where I'm sitting at like a long table, I find myself between two different conversations, at least two or three. Mm. I'm like, but you know, someone behind next to me to my left is having a conversation over there. And to my right, someone's having another conversation and, you know, crisscross. And it's just like, I'm just kind of left out and I can't even, you know, it's hard for me to listen to one conversation specifically at those tables. But, (laughs) um, but yeah, so it's like my energy level either just kind of like I can't keep up. So it starts off strong or decent and then it just kind of like, Ugh. and that's fine. That's kind of like, that's just going to happen. And I'll, I'll kind of like settle into, um, it's not really loneliness. It's just being quiet. Mm. Um, because I put my best foot forward and like, and then I, you know, I, you know, I didn't trip so much as I just kind of like slowly melted into the sand. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Um, But whenever I put that kind of energy forward and it doesn't seem like it's um, like someone, anyone responds to it in any kind of encouraging way, um, then, then it feels like I tripped Mm. and that I fell and it's really um, like, it is emotionally painful. Um, cause it's like, I can't, and, and I can't get in anywhere and I can't really function the way everyone else seems to be functioning. And, and that's when, that's when it's like, I kind of have to sink into loneliness, uh, kind of as an energy saving mm. measure. And, and I'm already feeling bad. I'm like, I'm not feeling bad because I'm lonely. It's like, I'm already feeling bad because I felt like. You know, I felt like socially thwarted, not by other people um, necessarily. Like no one, I never, I almost never think anyone is ever trying to hurt me. Mm -hmm. No one's ever trying to cause me pain is generally my belief. 
Um, so I'm not really blaming other people. I wish other people would put certain things forward just to make it easier for me because that's just convenient. But like, I'm not going to blame them if they don't because that would be nutballs. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in those situations where I feel like I'm starting off strong and then like, you know, there's just like not someone, there's not enough to connect with in the first place for me to keep going. Um, and, and yeah, then I just feel terrible. Mm. I just feel fucking, fucking awful. And, and like I'm in the way no matter where I am, not just physically, but just as a human, just as a person that I'm like psychologically or emotionally in the way of other people somehow. Mm. And that it'd be better if I hadn't come. Hmm. Are there times or events or anything where, like, do you feel that way more often than not? Is that the default feeling, and is it rare to not feel that way, like in gatherings, or is that how you feel most of the time? The crappy version? Yeah, the, the yeah feeling in the way, um, wishing you hadn't come. Um, no, I don't, th- like, honestly, I don't think I have enough, There, I don't think there are enough, like, group setting social events like that for me to feel like that um most of the time i think it is usually like i i kind of end up like like gradually slumped so it's not like hurtful it's just i'm being quiet but i still i don't feel like i'm outside of the group i don't feel cold and everyone else is around the fire i feel like oh i'm around the fire too i'm just a silent participant knitting in the corner or something (laughs) but still able to like laugh at any jokes that are made and i don't feel like an obligation to not respond facially or you know if someone says something i don't know Mm. like i have to act as far away as i feel which is that's that's how i feel when i'm having the bad times (laughs) the bad social times at a, at a group gathering. Group gatherings are the... They're not the worst. But no, no, they're kind of the worst. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say they're not. I'm like, they're not the worst thing in the world. They're just kind of the worst thing in my world. <laughs> Do they make you feel like the worst person in the room? Yeah, usually. I mean, that's the whole thing. Hmm. I mean, that's that's the source of so much of my anxiety and my like thought spirals and stuff like are based on me in social groups um yeah Mm. and not feeling just not feeling like i can ever really be a part of them Mm. yeah it's definitely a relatable feeling to kind of switch gears a little bit i know that that television and shows like television shows are a, a very important medium to you and they're a very important part of your life um like what are some of the things that you've learned or related to over the years watching various shows like you know gilmore girls or buffy or any other uh any other even steven universe just those are the shows that come to mind (laughs) um what are some of the things that that you've kind of learned or related to or realized about yourself through watching those shows well, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend oh, right. is just the show that it's it's the show that proves to me that I am like I am profoundly not alone in this world because <laughs> Rachel Bloom exists. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you made this <laughs> like, like I mean, she's not the only one who made it, but like, but yeah, that that actually helped me feel not alone because it's a show where especially the first season is so much about loneliness Mm -hmm. and like she moves to a new place and really doesn't have any friends um well she does have one but it's kind of like you see in the first season of crazy ex-girlfriend her um just being lonely and seeing the i have friends i definitely have friends (laughs) song and um and yeah, it's like she's not totally friendless mm. in in California, but she just she does kind of like you know, she's she's longing for what she doesn't have, which is like p- 
peers and friend group um mm. and not like just her her mama bear very important you know mama bear best friend type co-worker um and that was i think watching the first season of crazy ex-girlfriend was like one of the most um fucking beautiful and like such an experience of connecting Hmm. with a with a show and with a character because they did show that kind of like social loneliness and like making friends when you're an adult or trying to or Mm -hmm. failing to just being you know kind of too much because i was watching the episode the other day where rebecca like gets invited along to go to the beach with um with the group of friends Mm -hmm. with uh josh's group of friends and and she's like oh how can i like kind of amp this up or you know guarantee that this is a good time you know um and she, you know, ends up getting the party bus. At for, you know, her first suggestion is word games, which is hashtag the most relatable thing in my life. Um, <laughs> word games. But, um, but, yeah, she ends up running a party bus. And it kind of, watching this now kind of reminded me of the time I went to hang out with someone that I hadn't seen in many, many years uh, a couple months ago. And I, like... I put like a weird amount of effort forth that was not necessary. Like I cleaned my car. <laughs> oh damn! Like I, <laughs> I was like I cleaned my car. I got like a um, a pass from the library in case we went somewhere, mm. which we didn't. Like we ended up going there for like a little bit, and then there were ticks, and there was the worry of ticks, so we didn't end up really, you know, going around there for much much time, um, and like. I was like, I told them to park in a specific area so it would be easy for them to, like, go to their next location. I was like, I put so much mental thought into this to make, I don't know, to make it easier on, like, on this person. It's like, I wanted to impress or something, or I wanted them to like me, Hmm. and I don't know. So, you know, having having the, the character of Rebecca Bunch... You know, existing in my world and singing those, singing the the most relatable songs in the world. I have friends' song, the "You're a Stupid Bitch" song, mm-hmm. the um, oh yeah, and from like the end of season two, "Tell Me I'm Okay," Patrick. I'm like, <laughs> damn, these are all the songs of my life. <laughs> Every Patrick needs to tell me I'm okay. Poor right Seth now. Green. <laughs> I love you, Seth Green. <laughs> you were my hero. Are there any Patricks in your life that you need? To tell you that you're okay. I just need... I think all the Patricks I know are kind of like distant Patricks. They're ah. like brothers of people and friends of people. <laughs> like, I don't directly know any Patricks I can remember. Hmm. I th- what if I'm just forgetting someone? So I wasn't... I know? <laughs> just to be clear, I wasn't talking about literally people named Patrick. I do know... Some, wait, it was like my... You know, the guy who got me this job was a Patrick. When it was still a temp gig. I meant emotional Patricks. Emotional Who are Patrick's? the emotional Patricks that you oh, need to tell you who are okay? Sorry. Not I'm actual Patricks. very Patrick. interested in names, Reese. You can't distract <laughs> me like this. I mean, we could, we, you could spend the next five to ten minutes <laughs> trying to recollect all the Patricks in your life, but that's not what I was asking you. can about. think of like five right now. <laughs> it's a great name. <laughs> I played two Pats, by the way. They kept putting me into uh, into roles where I was named Pat in in uh, high school in theater. Pat, the English teacher, and Pat, the Peace Corps volunteer or whatever Peace Corps uh, hmm. recruiter. Actually, there are Peace Corps recruiters. Well, in that what play, there were. What sort of bizarro world do you? Live I wore in? khakis and a tie dye shirt, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess that makes sense. Um, I just live for that gender neutral. <laughs> you know theater role <laughs> were you ever that snl character no yeah. i will not accept good good but do you have any emotional patricks that you need to tell you who are okay oh oh yeah i definitely like our just like blatantly value some people's opinions way more and want their acceptance and approval like way more than other people's where it's mm. like, oh, you're, you know, your drop in the bowl is worth a whole dollar and other people's is worth a nickel. Mm. You know how I feel about nickels, but. <laughs> it's Not as useless as pennies. Depressing.
Teresa from the present breaking in here to add my my present thoughts, my current thoughts on quote-unquote emotional Patricks, because I was thinking about this this morning. I remember that I hadn't finished editing this podcast, and <laughs> and I thought about this part that I think I kind of skipped over. I was I, I, listening back to it. I was really clearly mentally skipping over it because I kept talking about like actual like people with the name Patrick and times I played characters named Pat. And <laughs> this is not like a one-to-one um, direct correlation with the Patrick delivery person uh, played by Seth Green in that one episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I think it's the penultimate episode of season two. But anyway, when I'm talking about emotional Patricks in my life, it isn't like obvious strangers or like fresh acquaintances, like a delivery person who's coming really often. Um, But it's definitely something that has caused some distress for me in my life Um, because it's kind of one of those things that's it, it hurts, it sucks, um, looking for, like, too much validation from people who aren't in your life to give that to you. Um, but yeah, basically, what I'm defining as an emotional Patrick, for my purposes here, is someone that you put, or that I put, too much, like, emotional stock in their, uh, than their reactions or perceived reactions to me. And wanting their, like, approval and acceptance and respect, like, out of proportion to their actual or desired role in my life. While simultaneously kind of devaluing the opinions of people who, um, who give me more consistent positive regard. I was trying to think, like, what really kind of binds the emotional Patricks together, like, versus the non, non, the emotional non-Patricks, um, in my world, and it's, it is kind of like it had to be defined in the negative, because, so what's happening when I get feedback, like, generally positive feedback from the people in my life I feel like I can count on, right, the people who are most reliably there, who I can and do often take for granted. Um, Is it just the taking for granted? Is that just part of it? Is that just like, oh, I'm used to this level of acceptance, or I'm used to this, like, flavor of acceptance. Acceptance from you, encouragement from you, and I'm just used to the taste or something. That sounds gross. I keep using words like flavor and taste in this episode. (laughs) I'm sorry, but... (laughs) I mean, that is kind of the way I think of it. But yeah, so it's like that kind of, that that flavor, that whatever of um, positive regard is familiar and like almost expected in baseline. And so I don't put any extra weight onto it. And so thinking about these reactions, these like non-reactions I have to the people who love me most and most openly, that did clarify that Um, I don't think all, but many of the quote-unquote emotional Patricks uh, are people I've had some sort of ambivalence toward. Um, Like, I have a generally positive regard for them, and I want them, like, I do sincerely, like, want them to appreciate me and, and give me positive feedback, but there's some, like, history of ambivalence or continued ambivalence um, and this feeling of insecurity, like I can't rest until, until they say I'm okay. Because it's like their opinion of me is not proven in the way that the people who are closest to me do seem like like they're proven um, by longevity or consistency of showing up in my life and you know so is it just like a challenge 
Is it like a, a way of winning my own positive regard? To get... To get feelings of acceptance and external validation from these people who I feel like are insecure attachments in my life? Am I projecting onto emotional Patrick relationships my own very large self-doubt? It would make sense. I have plenty to go around. I have plenty to project on other people and other friendships, so <laughs> I could do that. Am I looking for someone who seems almost as unsure about me as I am to be like, you know what, that's fine. What you're presenting is fine. You're still a good person. Um, or you, you're even a good person because of whatever you're unsure about. Or, I don't know. What am I looking for? What are we looking for? You're looking for something. I always assume it comes back to me. That I'm looking for something in me, from me. And hoping it comes from someone else. We'll get back to the interview with Reese in just a moment. Patrick's can tell me I'm okay. But... I still won't believe them. So besides Crazy Ex-Girlfriend... Are there any other shows that um, stand out as being super relatable or things that you've maybe taken nuggets from that help inform your own character from? Because I know that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is pretty much on the nose. <laughs> yeah, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like when... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like whenever you you've been like kind of looking for looking for like a certain shoe for years and it's like gone out of style and you can't find it anywhere and you can't find like quite the right combination of things the right heel height or the right toe shape like all these things and then like and you you collect a bunch of things that you also like and actually fit in and but they're not quite that thing and then suddenly you just happen to fucking find the boot <laughs> you just find the ideal boot that like you know it's like everything you've been looking for everything together and a beautiful cohesive whole and it fits you perfectly and it's on sale and there's cushion in the sole and <laughs> it's just it's like such a full package it's we, such a complete we spent package. a total of uh what an hour and a half <laughs> this weekend trying to find a the, the right boots at dsw <laughs> it's hard <laughs> so what are some of the um, themes that w you would say are part of your life or that you've sort of discovered? Some some recurring themes. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe feeling like the worst person in the room might be a theme. Social isolation, yeah. Social isolation. <laughs> um, that is one. Um, what are some other ones? A big one. Did I just say that weird? A big one is... No, it was, it was perfectly normal. <laughs> A big one is, or yeah, is and has been um, kind of feeling between, I'm, I'm going to say it in, in um, really grandiose language, between two worlds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt like it's really, I felt like I've kind of found myself either logistically or personally in, in between two options hmm. uh, a lot of the time. So, yeah, that's that's been a big thing. <laughs> I was like, there's so much to go into that I don't think I can talk about it super coherently. <laughs> yeah, being like not quite one thing and not quite the other, but, you know, foot in both camps type of thing. And trying to find, trying to find um, true middle paths. Hmm. That's been a big thing in my life. <laughs> what are the two worlds that you're between right now or maybe in the past? Um... Like Tomorrowland and Frontierland. Tomorrowland. I love Frontierland. I was surprised how much I loved Frontierland. <laughs> um, are you between worlds? 
<laughs> a little bit. I mean, you know, there's the, the finance and, you know, music dichotomy. Um, there's the... Yeah, and there, that, that, that brings up my urge for the middle path, where, like, mm. you write songs about finance, you write <laughs> filk songs about finance. <laughs> Financial filk writer. Perform them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is about you though, right? Yeah, but it helps me to hear, like, like one of the points of the show basically is for people to tell their stories and to be able to bounce off each other for mm. it not to really be a strict interview form. Um, because I know for me, whenever I'm asked a question, like even if I like know there's a ton of stuff for me to talk about with it, it really helps open up, helps me open up for someone else to start talking about their own experience with it. And then I can relate not only to like what like original thoughts were blobbed together incoherently in my head when I first heard the question, but I can really, you know, also like ricochet off of what the other person gives me. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel in between worlds, uh, when it comes to, I feel like I can either, you know, work a job that I don't really want to do, but that pays me well so that eventually I can, retire and kind of do what I want to do versus I can do what I want to do now, but be worried, be always be worried about money. Like I'm not worried about money in the sense that I'm afraid I'm going to be destitute tomorrow. Although there is that possibility, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm worried about, Oh, at some point in the future, I won't have enough. I won't be comfortable because I'll lose my job or I won't, be employable anymore and i won't have enough to retire but in the meantime i'm like but i'm young and i'm healthy and i want to be able to sing and play guitar because it's fun and um and meaningful to me so it's like i guess that's one example of me being between two worlds i mean i've always thought that like you wanted to kind of pursue a creative career in writing um and but i guess i don't really know what other world you're trapped in though like are you do you feel like writing is one of the worlds you're trapped in versus i don't you don't really have the no, same thing that no I, no yeah yeah i've always been like much more <laughs> it's like this sounds mean to say to you in a recording but I'm like i always feel like i i'm much more like um <sighs> affirmed or self-affirming in like well, my more creative or artistic path mm-hmm. than you are. Um, I've always thought of it. I'd never really thought of just being one thing. Cause I always figured that at least for like, you know, I, I would at least be doing like one other thing for work for, for like for money. Mm-hmm. So it was really important to me to have a job that was kind of like kind of easy. Um, And that was a little more analytical so that I could use my creative side, you know, elsewhere kind of, um, and had no homework. My, my paying job would have no homework so I could actually have time and mental space after Mm. work. Ideally, not that always happens, obviously, um, to do the creative work in my quote unquote off time. Um, and honestly, even if I like eventually like reached a point of success with a creative career. I don't know if that's, if I would want to like spend my days doing that like full time. I don't know if I'd want to kind of treat it like a job mm. or want to treat it like a full-time job. Mm. Cause I really, I mean, another theme in my life is balance with a capital damn B. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, my capital letters. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I really value the the balance between certain certain parts of my brain being used um i think actually like a lot of creative work like does come with a lot of other thought types wrapped into it because you're not just going to be like a pure creator and i never have been like a pure creator i also like am really interested in like you know putting things together and and um manipulating it and 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 doing kind of like the stuff that a lot of creatives tend to call like, oh, the, you know, the business stuff or the weird stuff or whatever, mm. like, or not the weird stuff, but like the the stuff that's not just making the thing. And I don't think I'm necessarily that good at it, but <laughs> I'm interested in it. Mm. And I like to use, you know, 
but more analytical parts of my brain as well and have a good balance of that going on. Um, so if, if creativity and money are not two worlds that you're stuck between, what are some worlds that you're stuck between? Um, I think health and wellness or, or like health and sickness, actually. Oh, wellness. Yeah. Cause I feel like I'm never, um, I feel like I'm never sick enough to say that I'm sick. Hmm. Um, I mean that both physically and mentally. I feel like I have, uh, with the exception of the times I've literally been in the hospital, it it's kind of been a thing in my life where I'm like, oh, you know, I share some of these symptoms with with um, these other these like more serious, more real things like like uh, you know, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, bipolar. And, and these things, and I, um, I'm like, well, like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I can't be that. Like, if I'm anything that I'm like a baby version of that, like, mm. I can't actually, you know, I'm, no one respects me enough for me to have a real diagnosis. That doesn't sound like, that, mm. that sounds like a weird sense. I don't know. It's like, I'm not real enough to have the real thing. It's like, it must just be parts. Like, I can't, this, you know, this can't actually apply to me. It must be just that I'm crappy. Not that I actually have any sort of like mental illnesses or or physical illnesses sometimes, but it's been worse about the the mental anxiety for a while. That's interesting. So you said that you feel that you're not real enough to have a diagnosable illness. Yeah, that it must just be be me fooling myself or just being. What makes you think that? <sighs> Because if I actually went and got diagnosed, if I had these words, these diagnoses, labels attached to me that I could use to describe um, my thought modes or behaviors or whatever, people would just dismiss me more. They'd be like, oh, she's... You know, you know, she's making another excuse. She's making it up. Do you feel like people are already saying that? Because you said dismiss me more. Do you feel like people are already dismissing you? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I. I feel like inherently dismissed, and not even necessarily personally. Sometimes personally, but you know, just living in the world. I've always felt kind of dismissed, like when I was a kid, you know. Uh, apparently, I didn't feel enough like a kid because I just remember it hurting so much that that whenever I did try to, like, I don't know. It's like, the, you know, it is kind of like one example outside of just my emotions, right? My brother and mm. my parents' reactions, my mom's reaction to like my brother hurting me um, right. that like, you know, I just kind of had to get over it cause I was older. So it's like, yeah. Oh, your pain is less important. And also he's not really going to be punished probably. <laughs> and your stuff, you just don't matter. Do you feel like that's translated or that sticks with you? Well, obviously you do. So do you feel like as an adult, do you feel like I don't mean to blame my mother either? Like, no, <laughs> but, like, I love my mom. But, but do you feel she's like not perfect? <laughs> people won't. You, you you feel like just as an as a child, your pain wasn't taken seriously, or you were told to get over it. You feel like now as an adult, that's the same thing. Well, yeah, I think I was like I felt like I was really not taken seriously at all, and not just when I was in some sort of pain. But in general, I felt like I was, I don't know, I felt like psychologically undermined or something. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand what it is to be a kid. Mm. I mean, can anyone though? But, <laughs> mm. but like, I just remember I felt so acutely, you know, that I wasn't being taken seriously much of the time. Like, people didn't treat me like a person. 
I felt like I wasn't being treated like a person and that I had to wait to grow up to finally be treated like a person. And then you get to a certain age, well, you know, way before I actually, you know, was anywhere near growing up. And I realized like, you know, I come across people like that nurse practitioner when I was 15 who just like laughed at me when I said like, oh, I'm not having kids. Like I don't have to worry about giving birth, um, you know, and all the crappy medical stuff that's going to happen to me then because it's not applicable to me. And she just laughed at me. I was like, oh, like I'm going to have to wait even longer for people to take me seriously. <laughs> I'm going to have to wait until like at least my 30s and maybe just forever because I'm a woman. And, like it's it's fun. It's fun. Hmm. <laughs> I'm bitter. <laughs> How would you like for people to take you seriously? Um like, what would it look like to be taken seriously? What are some things that people would say or people would do where you would fa- feel validated or as if people were finally taking you seriously? If they would... I guess if I felt like if people l- listened to me when I talked to them and kind of reacted in kind or... Yeah, I'm like, I'm so aware right now of like talking like a victim and talking like I just need other people to do things. Mm. Um, of like, oh, you know, I wish people would listen to me and like when I give them feedback about how I'm feeling that they would maybe like alter their behavior or something toward me so that I, you know, so that it didn't feel like I was walking into an emotional trap. Um, but... But it's same. I'm like it's not anyone else's responsibility for me to feel okay. But you know, I wish people cared about making me feel okay. Um, enough to actually put some effort into it. What was the question? I've wandered off. What, what behavior, like how? What would it take for you to feel, you know, validated and taken seriously by other people? was the question more or less i guess if i felt and obviously me feeling is the hard part um if i felt like people were were sincerely engaging with me in in conversation and and in in however we're interacting right um sincerely engaging at the same level that i'm trying to put out or that I, I am putting out. Um, and then, you know, to feel like I'm kind of getting back a similar level of energy that I'm putting out toward them to connect with them. Um, or to talk about anything, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. Mm. Um, but yeah, to feel like, oh, I'm not worth so much less that you're not giving me anything in return mm. and that the level of energy you're putting forth is so much lower than the level of energy I'm putting forth. Um, and that's everything. I feel like everything I'm saying is a goddamn trap because it's like, I can convince myself that people don't like me super easily. Mm. So, you know, I can read a lot into stuff that, that I know isn't there. And I'm like, but like my brain is like, that's not like, that's not what's happening or it's probably not what's happening. And, but another part is like, nope, nope, nope. You should take this as a sign and just blow everything up. Mm. (laughs) You should retreat and into like the corner of your closet and never emerge and never, never force this person to look at you again. Mm. because like you know you are worth so much less because if you were worth more you'd be getting more right i don't know getting more energy from that person yeah i've definitely felt that way about people especially in various interactions where do you think these thoughts come from the, the pit. <laughs> <laughs> the pit. The pit. 
Pittsburgh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> give the pit, now available at Costco for $9.99. God damn it, Costco. Giant Eagle? Um, <laughs> I don't know where they come from. The pit is as good a description as I can come up with. Is there anything um, to kind of pull you out of the pit, so to speak? Is there anything that... Who can pull me out of the pit? <laughs> no one. I mean, maybe maybe you can. I mean, yeah, but my skill, my like level of success is low enough that I doubt it. Hmm. <laughs> um, are, is there... Like, what are some things that pull you out of the pit, then? Like, what are some... Or maybe don't pull you out, but at least give you a light <laughs> to look up at, or I don't know, make you feel less like you're in a pit, so to speak. What are the things that you do or look at or experience or anything like that? Um, so basically, what are kind of somewhat curative uh, activities in regards to the pit? Yeah. Curative activities. Um, do, I'm like, does anything I do actually help? I don't. I don't know if anything I do helps. I don't feel like. So whenever I feel shitty and pity, <laughs> I don't. Um, there's not really like. You know, I was just editing Stephen's first episode, and he puts he puts things in a certain way of like you know the way that he thinks like oh this is a thing. I want there to be a thing, and I want there to be a change. Oh, I have seen this option. I will go do that, and then they will be gone, or whatever. This is about ants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm like, I really just don't have that kind of, like, boom, 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 boom. Like, really, like, discrete kind of, like, linear Series of process. action steps you can take. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm like, I'm just, like, I'm all feelings all the time in every direction, just worms crawling over each other. It's... <laughs> I'm just like, I don't, I'm like, when I'm in the pit, I, I just, I'm like, how? Like, all I want is someone to be there with me and then it will feel higher. And then I feel like we can start climbing out. But I can't rely on someone for that. When you say be there with you, you mean like feel as bad as you do or just be like, hey, I see that you're in a pit. Yeah. Like, like kind of just like sit with me. And kind of like, um, yeah, just kind of sit with me while I'm feeling crappy and let me, let me talk about it a bit and, and just kind of like cycle, like emotionally hold my hand. <laughs> mm. And then so much of the pit is, is my social anxiety, loneliness, um, it's loneliness isn't even the right word, but just like social worthlessness and for mm. someone to sit with you while you're suffering. It's just like, it seems like the ultimate, I see you. Mm. Mm. I see you and you're worth seeing. Mm. You're worth me seeing. I got you. And it isn't that I'm not condescending to you either. It's like, I feel like it's the truest moment of, like interpersonal equality or something. Um, I feel like I'm not using the right words, but yeah. And I feel like it just raises, you know, it just elevates us as humans, as people. And I feel like, Oh, I can walk now mm. just cause someone's been here and met me where I'm at and, um, and let me be there. <laughs> and, Held my hand. Okay. And like, you're worth my time. Hmm. I hope you liked this episode of uh, Vulnerability Cast with Teresa and Reese featuring Teresa. Um, <laughs> and I hope my little like six minute interruption about emotional Patrick's in the middle of this episode wasn't super weird. But I'm trying new things, guys. I'm trying new things. Folks. I have to not say guys. Okay. I like folks. As for our show business, you can subscribe to the Worst Person in the Room podcast on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Me remembering that Apple Podcasts is the thing and not iTunes anymore is oddly difficult. Um, anyway, also Stitcher. <laughs> 
And you can follow us on social media at Worst Person Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Teresa Francesca, and I I don't really have the heart to call myself the worst person in the room, even if I technically am today. So let's let's all be the best person in all of our rooms. I mean, maybe not every room, just maybe our own personal rooms. Like if you're in the bathroom and you're the only one, you can you can be the best person there. I believe in you.